Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Cocaine Willie, and we have a big show planned for you tonight as we are doing a quick review on the pathetic performance for the Kansas State offense against Tulane and a preview of the OU game with Keegan Renault, who is a man of many titles but is affiliated with the franchise 1077 in Oklahoma City and is the president of RPM Data, which is a sports data company focused on football at the high school, college, and NFL level. So we're looking very much forward to having him on to get him in the weeds with us on what to look out for with the Sooners this week. I'm as always, joined by my esteemed colleague and co-host, the good chef Andre Napier. I'm here, my friend. <laughs> after, jeez, you after. had me. You had me having a fucking heartbreak there. Heart heart well, attack, not a heartbreak. Well, well, both. You've had me having a heart attack and a heartbreak there. I was heartbroken for a second too. I couldn't believe that on the biggest episode we had after, Man. like you said, a giant giant loss giant disappointment of Tulane that I wouldn't be able to talk to you about it and we have to talk about it we have so much to talk about we've got our listeners in the crowd we will let you up to speak we're going to do a quick review uh, and then we will hand it over to Keegan once we once we finish up the review to talk all things Oklahoma we've got a bunch of questions lined up for for him but I guess should we just go ahead and dive right in Let's talk about it. I mean, it's it's where there's one side of the ball that we're, we're really going to talk about, and it's going to be kind of, I would say, almost cringy to talk about. It was a no good, very, very bad performance on offense. There's there's really no other way to slice it. It was anemic. It was lackluster. Everybody was out of sync like we talked about on, on Bosco's Boys just now. I mean, the, the, even the offensive line, who we've been touting their praises, singing their praises for this season and last season, because we've got Cooper Beebe. We've got a potential first, second, third round draft pick for the NFL draft on the offensive line. And, and it was just the pockets were collapsing more than we've seen them happen in the past. And there wasn't really as much rotation as we've seen in some of the previous games. It, it, my wife, who is an avid football fan, a Texas Longhorn fan, but an avid football fan, this is the first time she's watched K-State this season. And she kept asking me, like, hey, what's going on with your offensive line? Is your offensive line supposed to be good or, or not very good this year? And I said, they're supposed to be really great. And that was supposed to be one of the biggest differentiators between us and, and Nebraska and for Adrian Martinez specifically. And it just, she, she kept asking like it, they're not really looking that good. And and her coming in from an outsider's perspective, seeing that like that kind of told me all I needed to know about how even the offensive line performed, but that's just, I guess the first position group we'll get to. Yeah. And I'll, and I'll add on to that. The O-line, it was really disappointing because I mean, there was times when holes were, were opened up. There was times where Adrian had time, um, but it all kind of, never came together it was all if the holes was filled it was deuce wasn't in the game he was uh getting an iv and we had dj giddens um i mean he had some good runs but it was it was all situational so if the holes were open we weren't hitting the right hole we weren't we weren't making the right read or if the adrian had time in the pocket um kt levinson did his job on his blind side he wouldn't stretch the ball down the field. He would just dump it off. So it was a waste of good protection. And when he was looking for that second option, 
from Malik Knowles down the field or whoever, the the line was collapsing internally. He had to scramble out, and it it just it just never came together. I don't know if that's a product of the the injuries happening to Taylor Portier and not being able to bring the rotation to where we want it with that eight the eight man rotation. Um, Chris Kleiman brought it up in his press conference. Carver Carver Willis needs time out there. Dawson Del Forge has earned time out there, but it's just not happening right now, um, especially in that game because we saw in the Missouri game, we saw in the South Dakota game, the the line has the potential to do it. They they can bring an A grade, but I cannot give them anything over a C or a D. Really, I mean, it was just bad. It was it was pretty rough. And and if that's going to be the difference maker between Adrian Martinez having success at K-State or Nebraska, that's one thing. But but we didn't even see what we needed to see. Similar to the first two games, what we've needed to see from Adrian Martinez. Uh, he just I mean, I, I just can't I can't grasp what's going on in his head other than he has been coached to just be safe and, and coaching him to be safe is not working. You, we can't continue to do that. Uh, it's just not. It's just not good. I really don't have a whole lot of of good things to say, and I'm really not sure what else to say. It was just bad all around. I'll 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 chime in. I'll I'll bring some positivity to this podcast for the little fire bit. fire away. Please. I don't think we Adrian. Need I don't think Adrian Martinez was as bad as we think he was. It was. It's literally. It, it just comes down to this. He he didn't stretch the field. We all know that. The checkdowns w- was what he was going for first. He he feels I'm and and he's he's human. He's a I mean he's probably 22 years old, 23 years old. He's a kid, and he's he's not immune to what he hears. At tech uh, at Nebraska, he was a turnover machine, and that's what everybody said that if he could cure the turnovers, he will be successful at K State. Now the first game he didn't need to do anything and he was he was solid. He didn't have to throw the ball, so he didn't. Missouri, there was game, there was possibilities out there, there was potential out there for plays to be made. There were some drops and it was a monsoon, so we gave him that leash. This game, he really turned into the conservative machine that is just so far from what we wanted him to be. We wanted him to be that playmaker, but just to maybe just rely on his playmakers to do the work for him, not necessarily him have to carry the team. But he just went to the total opposite end of the pendulum and went ultra conservative. The checkdowns was his first read. And if I were to tell you that he was close to uh, 200 yards passing, no turnovers, one passing touchdown, but Deuce Vaughn and Malik Knowles and other players carried their weight and the offensive line did their job, you would you we'd all be praising Adrian Martinez for the, the game that he had. But it just when the team around him doesn't do their job, like you like we mentioned, the O line wasn't their best game. There were drops out there and Deuce was on a little bit of a kick where he just wasn't Deuce that we we've come to know. The Adrian Martinez ultra conservative is not going to win us any games. 
the hunt, the line can be that he can have those games. And we saw it versus Missouri. We saw it versus South Dakota. We can have those games and we can win. But when everybody else is not clicking, he cannot act like that. He cannot play like that. Absolutely. And and I think if we can get just a little bit more out of everybody else, we will be fine. And I think we'll, we'll get, I, I have it on good authority that we're going to see a different Adrian Martinez that is going to uncork it, that is going to let it fly. So the good authority that you have, how do you feel about the other role players stepping up, making sure that they're doing what they need to do to where Adrian's not doing it by himself or also Deuce isn't doing it by himself? It's, it, and I, I think I brought this up. It, it was all kind of a weird game plan. It feels like we came in there with – a strategy of kind of just enforcing our will on Tulane. And if you go back and listen to what the player said in the, the post-game interviews, Tulane is, wasn't messing around. Tulane brought stuff that they weren't seeing on film. They brought different stunts. So the O-line was seeing things that they hadn't seen on film. They weren't prepared for. They brought different coverages. They loaded the box. They played press man. They did a lot of different things that, the K-State offense was not prepared for. And we, I don't know if it was, we were set in our ways that we were going to run this and not put anything on film. I hope to God that's not the case because Colin would have to answer for that. But we, we weren't there game plan wise to put our players in the best situation. We were relying on Cade Warner to run the, the jet sweep uh, motion routes instead of what we usually get with philly brooks or malik knowles we were doing shovel pa- we did a shovel pass four times and it, it just didn't work i don't know if you have anything to add on to that because that play just baffled my mind and then it's all about situational play calling uh they probably look yeah, back at the yeah. film they probably look back at the film and were kicking themselves because fourth and one no quarterback sneak when they did run up in the shotgun, I mean, it's they have a nine. They basically have nine men in the box, eight men in the box and a corner giving seven yards of cushion when you need two yards on Philly Brooks out wide. Just throw him the ball. He's going to he's going to pick those yards up. It's it's just little things. It just wasn't manifesting into a successful offensive day. And it's I don't know what I don't know what to Call it because Tulane brought their A game. And I guarantee you if we play a notch above maybe 50% of what we can bring offensively, we win that game nine times out of ten. I agree. I agree. I the, My biggest frustration is looking at some of the statistics, to your point. I mean, Adrian really didn't have as bad of a passing day as people are making it out to be. It's that his first reads are the checkdowns and some of those other things that's, that's fascinating watching it. But my biggest frustration is we had those four interceptions in a row against Mizzou, and we had two of them in this game. And out of those six interceptions, we scored one touchdown in this game against Tulane and one against Missouri. The rest were turnover on downs, missed field goal, and two made field goals. And 
frankly, I think that's totally unacceptable because an interception is an in- incredible momentum swing that you get, that your defense is stepping up and, and giving you what you need as an offense to provide you not only with the momentum that you need in a home environment that both of those happened in, but you're going to have better field position than you usually would on a kick return or, or anything like that. And the defense is doing everything that they can to keep us in these games. But the other really strange statistic is that we had the exact same total yardage in both games against both Missouri and Tulane. We had 336 total yards in both games, which is just kind of an interesting stat because in one game we scored 40 points and then in the, in the other we scored 10. I would love to hear that interception statistic again because I think we scored only three points off of our turnovers in this Tulane game because we had the interception by Daniel Green at the end of the first, the second quarter where we kicked the field goal. I don't think we – did we score a touchdown off the Kobe Savage interception? I don't think we did. I'm, I'm pretty sure that we scored a touchdown off of the off of the Deuce Green interception, did we not? No, that was because the Deuce we, Green in the Missouri game or in this Tulane game? In the Tulane game. No, the Tulane game, he intercepted it near the 30-yard line – or 40 yard line and ran it back to our 20. Oh shoot. And that was, yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Sorry. I misread that. I misread. No, the but we, 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 we scored a combined, I think combined 10 points in the Missouri game off of four interceptions and three points off of interceptions in this Tulane game. We were, Which we is were even worse than what I said. It, it is bad. It is very bad. And it's and those game those plays in the Missouri game should have kind of given us an indication of what we were going to see in this Tulane game. Except Missouri didn't load the box; they respected the pass a little bit more because, I mean, in that Missouri game before it was raining, he hit Malik Knowles on a, a deep pass for probably 15 yards. He hit Philip Brooks on a RPO quarterback draw slant route that got us almost into. Uh, that almost got us in the end zone, Deuce capped it off. But this this Tulane game, it was just totally different. It was something something was off with the offense. It looked very predictable. And I think the key stat is that we were four of twenty on third down and fourth down. I think that is just mind blowing. It is mind blowing that we cannot and you called it during the game. You said we're not passing on first down. We're running. We're run, run, pass. And we're running the ball, Deuce Vaughn, first down and on second down. And we're we're third and short every time. And we're not getting it. It's just it was frustrating as all get out. And and let's let's speak on Deuce Vaughn. Because Deuce Vaughn, I don't have the stats pulled up for me right now, but I think he only had 80 yards. On 20, 20, maybe 20 carries. I don't, he, I don't have that stat, but he had 81 yards on 20 carries. You, you almost exactly nailed it. And, and he had catches in there and I, and he didn't play basically all the third quarter because he, in the first half, we literally ran him into the ground. We cannot do that. And we can't, I don't care how explosive Deuce is. He will not hold up. We, the whole stigma on Deuce Vaughn, his entire career, and credit to K-State for sticking up for him, but 
his the whole stigma was that he cannot carry the weight of a 6'2", 215-pound back because he is five foot six, 180 pounds. We can't ride him like we like he's DeMarco Murray. We just can't. It's, it's just not not feasible. So we yeah. have to let the other playmakers help him out and let Adrian Martinez stretch the field. And and get DJ Giddens more involved, to your point. We can't let Deuce handle everything. And when we do see DJ Giddens, he's he's getting out there and he's had some pretty explosive plays. And and it's fun to see him be more of that power back and be that bigger body that's just kind of barreling down the field when he does get the ball. So I've I've really enjoyed what I've seen from DJ Giddens and hope that we see more of it against Oklahoma. Yeah, what happened to Deuce being the the Swiss Army knife where he's out wide. I mean, they they motioned him from the backfield to the slot, but have DJ Giddens in there. Make them have multiple linebackers. Make them have make a team be prepared for a run, even though Deuce Vaughn is out in the slot. You know, it 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 brings more dynamic when you have better playmakers out there instead of having Ben Sinnott out there wide. Not Sammy Wheeler, our better pass catcher, more explosive tight end. Let Deuce Vaughn play the slot. Let DJ Giddens stay in the backfield and have more plays to our to our exposure. What's the word? I'm not even. I'm to I'm our so repertoire. To yeah, our... yeah. Let him. Let us have more chances to get Deuce the ball, not just running him up the gut for three yards. It, it's Agreed. just it was it was it was all bad. But you know, let's let's transition to defense because that is the bright shining spot of this team. Yeah, I I want to quickly pivot to defense and special teams. I, I don't have a ton on special teams, and then I, I do want to get Keegan up here too because being a stats guru, I'm not sure what kind of research maybe he has done on K State so far. But I'm going to go ahead and and let him join the stage and and we'll get him involved here in a minute. But I think defensively. They went out there. They did what they had to do to win the game, I think. They they held the offense to 17 points. That's an offense that, you know, they've had to they've, – they've put up 40 or more points in the previous two games against uh, – before going up against K-State. And offenses that know how to score a lot of points, they're going to be hard to contain regardless of the level of competition that you're playing. And so I, I was impressed with the defense. I think the defense did the best that they can. And I think if I had to put a shining, shining spotlight on someone on the defense, I would say Austin Moore continues to impress. He had two tackles for a loss, one sack, and he led the team in total tackles with eight. Uh, he joined Felix and Julius Brents and Daniel Green as uh, sack getters in the game. And so I was impressed with, with those guys on defense. I really don't have a whole lot to say. It's just more of the same from the defense. We've only seen pretty much good things from our defense, and, and I'm kind of excited to see how Saturday goes because that over-under set at 51.5 points, and I really don't think it's going to be a super high-scoring game by either team. So it's going to be a defensive battle for sure. I, I agree. Everybody basically brought their B-plus A game. Uh, there was some voids in the zone coverage that we had with crossers, but you'll have that during the game. You're not going to be able to shut a team that's with a three-year veteran quarterback 
at Tulane to zero yards. We we won the turnover battle. We got some pressure on them. I will say the one scary part of our defense, we run a 3-3-5 front, that the quarterback draw game, the quarterback run game up the middle is kind of a glaring hole that I've noticed. It's happened in the South Dakota game. It's happened in the Missouri game. His was a little bit more on the read to the outside. But this this kid for Tulane, man, he at any point we drop eight, it is just an automatic run a quarterback draw. If they see that the nose guard is the only one up the middle, they are going to run their guard straight up, and he's just going to follow them because it's it's – taking candy. I mean, they were dropping seven yards back at the linebacker spot and it's just easy. And I think if we let Dylan Gabriel do that, we're going to be in for a long, long night because Dylan Gabriel is three times the athlete that Tulane kid was. And he's already shown that he could take it 70 yards to the house. He showed that versus Nebraska. We we have to be able to do something about that quarterback draw in this three three five, and I think we'll figure it out. Um, we kind of settled in a little bit in the second half, but overall, Eli Huggins, hence great, Felix great, Daniel Green another interception great, sincere Mason, uh, he's kind of dealing with some injury, but you get uh, you get. Kobe Savage with another interception. Julius Brent's great game. It's it was a bright shining spot. Couldn't agree more. And I think on special teams, I mean Ty Zentner continues to be really great as a punter, but I would like to not have to see as many punts, ideally. So I, I'm not gonna say that we're not gonna see a bunch of punts on Saturday because it is gonna be a defensive battle. But I just, you know, between the turnovers on downs, I I almost would have Wanted to see him more last week with some of those fourth down conversions just not happening. Uh, we would have been we would have been more advantaged to have the defense, you know, back them up against their goal line in some of those situations. Probably, yeah, I I could Monday morning quarterback that thing to the end of time with <laughs> uh, going for it on fourth down, and I'd be a hypocrite to say that because I was clamoring for us to be more aggressive on fourth fourth down and be more aggressive in our green what do they call it it's not the red zone it's the green zone in between that like the 40 and the 30 yard line i i wanted us to do that more and i got it and it wasn't it wasn't pretty at all (laughs) so maybe maybe ty zender is that secret weapon that we have and we should use him more but you know what are you gonna do you do you trust your basically Legatron all-American potential Ray Guy winner punter I think we should maybe look into that more and I I I hate saying that but he is a weapon for us and we should we should use that and like you said maybe this game is a low scoring affair where he's going to be able to show his true colors and his his potential as pinning people deep and we can we can let our defensive line and D be aggressive with them pinned back yeah, and three for 20 on third and fourth down is just not going to cut it at the end of the day. And I would I would rather see instead of a shotgun <laughs> shotgun formation on fourth down, granted the statistics may not back this up, but uh, it's so frustrating to see that QB sneak done at a sh- in a shotgun formation or at least attempting to do that 
when, and here's a little bit of an Oklahoma tie-in, I would almost rather see a tight end or a backup quarterback like Will Howard. Granted, the redshirt thing is a whole different dynamic there, but I'd rather see like an 18-wheeler package or a belldozer package and, and get someone to just punch it in than starting so far back, doing a shotgun formation on a long fourth and one anyway. It's just so frustrating to see that and, and to be three for 20 on third and fourth down. It's just, yeah, we should, we should know this because our fourth down defense, granted we gave up a fourth and one quarterback sneak to ice the game for Tulane. But before that we were so salty on fourth downs and it's because we send the house from our linebacker position. And when your quarterback is five yards deep, four yards deep trying to hand it off to a running back or do it themselves. There's so much time for the defense to get back there and wreak havoc. And it, it makes it so hard on the O line. So if you, the closer you're to the line of scrimmage and the closer you are to that first down stick, getting that ball, it, it just makes it so much easier. And Klanderman should have been right in Colin Klein's ears. Like don't run shotgun. It's kind of what we hope that the offense does on fourth down. So it's, it's frustrating. I don't think we'll ever see that situation again because Colin Klein knows well enough that that's what gets OCs at K-State fired. Ask Courtney Messingham last year in the Texas game. You, you can't do that. It's situational football. You have to know what works on fourth down. We tried on our – we go for it five times. We got it one time. Our, and the one time we got quarterback sneaked it on – the five times we ran five different plays. You have to have a bread and butter play for fourth down lined up. you got to know what you want to run on fourth down to get those, those yards. Three yards should be automatic for a team with your best play. It should be, it just should be. I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. I think on, on that note, we'll go ahead and pivot over to, to Keegan. So Keegan, Hey, I very much appreciate you joining tonight. Very excited to have you on. You are a man of many titles, but huh. sounds like you're affiliated with, with the franchise in Oklahoma City. You're the president of RPM Data. You're involved with Symbol. Tell us a little bit more about yourself uh, and, and just introduce yourself to some of the cocaine addicts that we have out here. Sure. Yeah. You know, I think the easiest thing for me to say is that I'm just a, I'm a fan of college football and Everything that I do is driven towards, you know, my understanding and, you know, our company's understanding of, you know, what we're looking at and kind of what we're working with um, and, you know, try to position ourselves on the right side of that variance, right? Where, you know, if you go two for, if you go two for what, 15 on third down and one for five on fourth down against Tulane, that you can kind of understand about why, you know, some things happen in games that don't make sense sometimes. And so, um, you know, I think we've done a really good job of that and yeah, it's, it's fun. And, you know, we do work with analytics and, you know, modeling and things like that. And, you know, we've got a deep team of very distinguished as well as, you know, um, qualified and everything that these guys do is at extremely high level and, you know, we're having some really good results early. And so, you know, I'm pretty excited about, you know, where we're heading. And you know, I think, again, what's so what's so fun about it is that, you know, it, it, I still it allows me to have a, a little bit of independence and where I can still, you know, come on podcasts and do stuff like this as well. You know, kind of be out there in the 
I guess I didn't want to be out there this week with all the whole bedlam stuff going on, but, um, you know, be out there in the social media world. I mean, on that, on that note, it's been a really interesting off season for the Sooners with Lincoln Riley's departure with a familiar face for, for us K-State fans and Brent Venables coming in the strange events surrounding Cale Gundy's dismissal from the team. Nonetheless, it does, it does feel like spirits are high in Norman. Tell us a little bit more, just kind of talk us through the off season that there was what kind of chatter is there about, if any, about some of the off the field stuff, or is it pretty much focused on on the season and the fire hose is fully inserted? Sure. Yeah, I, I would say this, like, you know, I covered the team for four years from 2017 to 20. Um, you know, I kind of took a step back last year and just, you know, did a little bit of breaking new stuff. And I've really been out of it this year, just kind of focused on the company. And so I, I think the biggest thing, at least from my perspective, and I think even as an outside perspective, um, would be a little bit different. I, you know, they've done a really good job of like, and I hate using a Jalen Hurts quote, but keeping the main thing, the main thing, like it's been really just, you know, listening to Brent Venables talk and, you know, it's just kind of about a, you know, daily process. And, you know, I think it is a little bit different than, you know, what they were, uh, before, right. Where, you know, Brent Venables is obviously more of that drill sergeant type old school coach. And you kind of had that new age, um, you know, players coach with Lincoln Riley. So it's been different from that regard from the outside looking in. Um, I think discipline's never going to be a problem for them um, like it was before. Uh, and yeah, you know, like I don't want to get too much into Kill Gundy stuff. It's kind of you know, on the bridge at this point. And so, you know, I think that they've done a really good job of focusing on what they've got ahead of them this season. And, you know, through three games, like how can you, you know, how can you, say be too negative about too much right now and you know their real season starting and you know I did hear something a second ago that I do got a comment on um Michael Pratt's a way way more athletic quarterback than Dylan Gabriel so uh I was going to talk about that um during this time so it's uh yeah I mean I I think Oklahoma's a good team I don't know if we know whether they're great yet and we're going to find out these next couple weeks they got some tests out ahead of them that's interesting that you 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 uh you say that Dylan Gabriel is less of an athlete than than the Pratt kid from Tulane. But, I mean, and you brought up Jalen Hurts just a second ago. Uh, Dylan Gabriel came into this offseason. Um, a lot of transfer quarterbacks, JT, uh, JT Daniels, Quinn Ewers, Adrian Martinez here at K-State. Um, a lot of hype of those three quarter those quarterbacks transferring in. Gabriel seems head and shoulders above the rest. I mean, mm-hmm. statistically so far, seven touchdowns I think he's had. Uh, do you feel that there's more product on the the level of competition you face to date, or is he really jiving with the familiarity of Jeff Levy's offense? Yeah, I mean, let's let's roll through some stuff and talk about some of the teams that they've played so far, right? Um, through this up to the part this season, when you look at SP Plus, right, the Bill Connolly with ESPN, the metrics they've used. So overall, these are the teams that they've played, 117th in the country, 106th, and 68th. Offensively, they've faced the 125th best offense so far, the 72nd best offense so far, and the 44th best offense so far, right? Defensively, this is the big kicker here, they faced the 90th best defense, the 123rd best defense, and the 82nd best defense. You boys know what Kansas State is so far? 28th overall, 64th offensively, and 13th defensively and I know you lose to Tulane I know you guys have seen Kansas State lose some games before 
Um, but I, I, I just, I don't think Oklahoma fans are quite yet prepared for how good this Kansas state defense is. And, you know, I've had some comments back to me of like, Oh, you're talking like they're the 85 bears. Like, no, I'm talking to them about how I felt about Oklahoma state a year ago, um, at this point. And when you go look at some of the metrics at Oklahoma state, if you guys don't remember, they scored like 23 points against Missouri state and almost lost at home a year ago. They should have lost on the road at Boise state. They should have been heading into conference play one and two, maybe even zero and three. And they just came on the right side of some fumble luck and turnover variants and all that. And next thing you know, Oklahoma state's playing Notre Dame and Fiesta bowl, like not to get on my soapbox about Kansas state last weekend, you go one for seven in short, or you go zero for seven in short yardage situations on third down. I think it was one for eight, uh, third down less than three. Um, and as well as fourth downs, less than three, you go one for eight the statistical probability of that happening in a game ever again in Kansas state football history is so low. It's hard not to just throw out whatever happened offensively for me. Right. And so like, that's kind of where I'm at heading into this one, but with Gabriel in general, you know, I, I, again, in Oklahoma in general, like I, I think they're a good team. I think they confirmed that they're going to show up to games and they're not going to be afraid for a fight, but they haven't played anybody. Um, you know, I think the numbers look good right now, but Dylan Gabriel should be even better than what he is. He's missed, I mean, eight, nine, 10 throws at this point that you would think a, a quarterback in the past would make. And so I, again, I, I, I just don't think people realize how good this Kansas state defense is quite yet. Uh, and as we've seen the last, what, since 2019 guys, defense has been the thing that's carried at least one team to the big 12 title. And so, um, I don't think it's time to panic quite yet. And I, again, I had, if, if Saturday's game didn't happen, I'd still be picking Kansas state to win this game um, as I've been the entire off season, but I, I don't at this point. Um, but I think it's going to be a really good one. That was long winded. Sorry. I will. Oh no, this, this is great. This is great. I, I will say that's been kind of the drum that we've all been pounding this week is yeah. Last weekend sucked, but it doesn't have any, really anything to do with Arlington. Arlington should still be the goal. Arlington is still absolutely a possibility. And so if we, if we come back and, and prove that we can, you know, spread the ball around a little bit, get Adrian to, to have a better game statistically than he's had the previous three games, I would, How about not I, running you know, a speed option back. on fourth and one. What about that'd be a great, that'd be a great call. What about not a long quarterback like power on third and three? How about that? How about they run the plays that they ran against Missouri that were really, really good in the run game? Right. Um, That's where I was at. Right. Like I'm watching this game unfold and it's like, man, they're just running the same stuff. I've watched them run for two weeks. Like you're not going to get away with that against Willie Fritz, no matter where Tulane goes this year. Right. Like Oklahoma tried to show up and play Tulane last year. If you guys remember, the play that Lincoln Riley ran against everybody that was successful, Tulane was just sitting on it. And Spencer Rattler threw an interception on the very first throw of his uh, 2021 season. So you just, you just can't get away with that stuff against the Willie Fritz. And I, I mean, and quite frankly, like I, I get it, right? Like you've got a team that's got a chance to go beat Oklahoma. You need to hold all the car, all of your cards close to your chest. Um, but whenever you have an offense like that, that can't play from behind or at least too much. It just was like watching the tape. I'm just like, Fellas, you can't, you couldn't have expected to show up and, and put this in the game plan and it, it work out. I am team no shovel passes. I don't want to, I don't know if I ever want to see a shovel pass again, knowing how that worked out for us last weekend. 
And for sure, and, and Adrian Martinez has to be better too. Like, I don't think he goes under the radar here. And the offensive line has to play better, right? Like, they played a bunch of NFL bodies against Missouri up front and, quite frankly, like, kicked their ass for 60 minutes. It's like, was like a, like a stuffing Elijah Drinkwitz in a locker was like one of my favorite things to watch for, <laughs> uh, two weeks ago. And so, you know, it's, it's football, right? Like, in sports and things happen. And, you know, I, I think that they're going to be heading into this game with a game plan and they've seen some stuff I would imagine in the run game with these linebackers at Oklahoma the last couple of years that they just kind of wanted to keep some stuff close to the vest. And, you know, Chris Kleiman has shown up for this game. They want a fluky one. I think people would admit it. They want a fluky one in 2020 that I think when you looked at like adjusted scoring margins, it had Oklahoma by like 10 plus points. Um, but 2019 was like a thorough ass kicking, right? So Kleiman's going to be prepared for this one. Yeah, and and Oklahoma game in in 2020 was also coming off of a really bizarre loss to Arkansas State. It, it, I I just kind of take everything that happened in that COVID season with a grain of salt, including the they, Iowa State I, Cyclones. But if I remember correctly, in the 2020 game, I think they had the long touchdown run with Deuce Vaughn, where he broke like five tackles. They had a coverage bust that went that was yeah Keon Mosey down the left side. Yeah, 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 60 yards. They had a punt block, and then the very next play was a Deuce Vaughn run when Oklahoma wasn't lined up right. Like, that's how OU lost that game. Just, like, I mean, that's a Lincoln-Riley way to lose a football game. I mean, I, I'm not going to spend time talking about him too much. But, uh, but yeah, I think uh, things are probably a little bit differently uh, heading into this one from a physicality standpoint. Um, so Speaking no, of – Go ahead. Oh, no, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Finish your, finish your thought. No, no, no. I was, was just like, I think it's going to be, you guys are going to be a little bit, and I've been a little bit surprised the physicalities Oklahoma's had, considering it's basically all the same players, right? Um, but again, it's Kansas, it's UTEP and Kent State and Nebraska, who, again, you said it, Dylan Gabriel ran a 60-yard touchdown. That's not happening against this Kansas State defense. Like, that's, like, Michael Pratt, like, when you look at, like, um, I know I'm getting off on a wild tangent here, but when you look at like the Michael Pratt rushing numbers last week and, you know, my general manager stats of war, you know, puts out his previews every single week. And you look at like Kansas state's rushing EPA per play, like it's, it's gone up, but it only went up because Michael Pratt had what 92 yards rushing on 12 rushes. And some of those yeah. in like big situations. So Kansas state's rushing defense may be even better than what the numbers project right now. Um, and so, I mean, Again, I'm not calling them the 85 Bears, but Oklahoma State's defense was a top five defense nationally a year ago per every metric in the game. Um, and, like, I don't think that that's too far out of the picture if they can stay healthy. Now, I saw Nate Matlock got hurt, which concerns me a little bit, but he should be playing this week, right? Well, he he's he didn't practice the, on Monday and Tuesday. Um, he did some light running on Tuesday. We'll see if he gets any practice. Uh, usually they do just walkthroughs on Friday. Um, I don't know how it changes for road games, um, but hopefully he can get out there. I think when it, when we come, when we talk about run defense, Nate Matlack isn't what we usually bring up. He's kind of a pass rushing specialist at this point in his career. He's still gaining weight. Um, but Brendan Mott, another guy, a de- defensive end that would sub in for him, and especially Jalen Pickle, the true starter technically. Um, he's a three hundred, basically a three hundred pounder playing defensive end who is going to basically be the run stuffer for that defensive end spot in sub of Nate Matlack. So we'll, we'll see. And I like those defensive numbers that you brought up. 
And speaking of defense, the 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 Oklahoma Sooners, they've obviously upgraded that. I mean, maybe it's Brent Venables that that does that for you. Um who's one of the best defensive mind and K-State knows that all too well that he was a linebacker coach here, could have been the defensive coordinator if he wouldn't have left after that 98 season, I think. Um what's been what's it been like on that side of the ball leveling up over the past few months. What's, what's going on with that? Yeah. I think you have to be a little bit careful too, because like when you start to go look at some of the underlying data, it's starting to show some warts. And in terms of like, they're allowing a lot of yards. Now they're not giving up points quite yet. Right. But when you go look at the amount of yards they're giving up on first and second down, it's some of the worst numbers in the country. Um, When you, the EPA per rush and EPA per pass number. So basically measuring how explosive you are, um, are rising um, and have been rising each and every week. Um, the, they've been really good at, at stopping people, right? When people get scoring opportunities or, you know, people pick up two or three first downs, they've done a really good job slowing, you know, stopping that um, and, and be able to, you know, force into a fourth and long, like generate a couple negative plays, right? Um, which is obviously the situation Kansas State's going to want to try to avoid this weekend. But they again, they've been they've had such an overwhelming advantage with their defensive line over the offensive lines they're playing. It's really hard to get a good gauge for how good the run defense is whenever they face a, an offensive line that has some sort of resistance. And through two games, I thought Kansas State was going to be it, right? And then it kind of get a little bit worrisome when you know see some of the tackle play that happened against Tulane. But you know, I think the defense has been they fly to the football right? It looks like they're playing more decisive as a defense than they were last year. They tackle better, right? Like all those little details that you would expect from a coach like Venables, like those things have been cl- been cleaned up. Did Casey Thompson miss a wide open receiver on third and four on Saturday on the second drive? That could have been a big play for them. Yeah. Did he miss uh, on a first and or second and 15 uh, a receiver where he hit him in the feet? That could have been a 10-plus yard explosive pass. Yeah, when the game was still on hand. The very first play of the second half for Nebraska was a 20-yard pass play that got poked out for a fumble. So I I don't think that this defense for Oklahoma is like a formidable unit, or at least have proven to be quite yet. Um, So I'm interested to see. Like I said, I I think Oklahoma's a good – I don't know if we know Oklahoma's a great team quite yet. I, I know, as you guys have seen, some OU fans have taken that leap. Um, but I think they've got some unique tests coming up specifically this week and next week that will test them in ways that they haven't been tested quite yet. And obviously that whenever that happens, you know, I think a year ago with Oklahoma, that's a perfect example, right? Where, you know, the first, um, eight games of their conference schedule or eight or sorry, eight games of the regular season, they didn't play a single defense that was in the top 20, top 25 in the country. They faced Baylor, Iowa state, Oklahoma state back to back to back. And it looks really, really rough. And so this is going to be a big leap up in, in the, the type of team that they're playing. And, you know, I, I'm not going to sit here and say, like, I come on here and say too much. I've obviously a major holder in Kansas State stock this year. But, I mean, my perspective the entire offseason was that Oklahoma was going to go on the road and kick the crap out of a bad Nebraska team and then welcome a 3-0 Kansas State team um, that looks the part of a team that could be a really strong contender in the Big 12. And, Son of a bitch. I was what one game was what a couple first down pickups away from that. So, um, <laughs> yeah, we'll see, we'll see what kind of hap- we'll see what happens this weekend. 
So, I mean, game plan wise, what do you think is Oklahoma's strategy coming into this game this weekend? And then on the flip side to that, what would you say the Cats need to do on Saturday in order to keep things competitive and potentially pull out a victory? Well, you know, I've heard a lot of talk from Manhattan this week, right? As you guys, I, I forgot who followed me. Maybe Mr. Trollsby followed me. Um, I mean, yeah, I, I've been keeping close tabs on some. I, I've been pretty surprised. Like people want to see Adrian Martinez, like drop back more and throw into coverage. Cause I'm like putting up warning signs and like, don't do that. Like just, I, he is who he is. I think they've done a good job, like limiting um, those opportunities for him. Now there's plays where like, I think there was one last weekend where they had like an in-breaking route. It was towards the middle of the field. And, you know, he probably had time to make that play, but Adrian Martinez wasn't the only quarterback last week in the country that got hit a couple times and panicked. Look what happened with Donovan Smith out, out in Raleigh. Look at Dalen Gabriel at times so far, even this season for Oklahoma. Like, I don't think it's an abnormal thing to happen. Um, you know, I, I think when you look at what Kansas State needs to do, like Oklahoma's run game hasn't really been, the run defense hasn't been tested the way it's about to. I think Kansas State does some unique stuff with the QB run, um, the split zone read stuff that they do that is really, really tough on linebackers that aren't disciplined. So I would expect Oklahoma to do what they did a week ago. They got into a 3-3-5, which um, Brent Venable started to run at Clemson a little bit at the end of his tenure there. So they were in a pure Kansas State, Iowa State-style defense, and they were just blitzing their linebackers the entire game against Nebraska. So, you know, if you're big concern, if you're Oklahoma, that your linebackers may not be good enough to, you know, digest and, you know, dissect all the stuff happening in front of them, you can just blitz them, right? Well, the problem is, is sometimes when you do that, you blitz away from where the offensive play call is going and you can get caught and you can win those sometimes you can lose those sometimes. So on the standard downs, when Oklahoma's not blitzing, like I don't have trust in their linebackers. I mean, it's the same guys that you saw play a year ago. And I know Kansas State was a drop back team with Skylar Thompson more in 2021. But I, I mean, be who you are like. I think they have a really good system where they can get into manageable second and third down situations, make them short possession games, make people throw, you know, get ahead and make people throw into their uh, deep pass defense, which has been one of the best in the countries up to this point. Um, so that's where I'm kind of at it is like, Hey, you've got a really good run game. You got caught with your pants down last weekend. Right. But I don't know if that necessarily like makes means you need to change who you are and who your identity is, because if they ran what they ran against Missouri in the run game and Norman on Saturday, I think this is going to be a very low possession game. And we're going to be looking up at the scoreboard in the fourth quarter. And like, if Adrian Martinez can put a drive together here, they're going to have a chance to win. Yet you all, me, you guys, and everybody listening all know, um, probably not going to happen. So that's where I kind of fall short here in this game. I love I love that. And I to your point, I would rather have the tune-up game happen after week three against a non-conference opponent going into conference play than, you know, against Kansas at the end of the season. So I would much rather have this be our tune-up game go into the season in, in conference play, knowing what our flaws were in those first three games and specifically last week, going into a big matchup against Oklahoma on the road. The atmosphere is probably going to be pretty pretty crazy down there. It's probably uh, going to be I'm, one of the best. I'm looking forward it's, to it. It's probably going to be one of the best crowds that they've had in Bedlam 2012. It's probably the last time that place has been like you can feel the stadium shake under your feet. It'll be that way Saturday night. 
Oh, and I mean, I mean, shit, we think about 2012, that matchup in Norman at night in 2012 was also another pretty electric matchup. And that was a really great game. I remember seeing, um, I, I forget who the quarterback was for Oklahoma in that game, but, but Landry that matchup Jones. was, was very solid. Yeah. Landry Jones is now drinking Bud Light seltzers in the, uh, in the XFL. You know, I think what's so interesting about Kansas state in their makeup this year is that. I think they're athletic enough with their offensive line, like with KT Leviston, I, I left tackle. Um, and I think Christian Duffy, right? Like they have a top three, four, five offensive line in the big 12 in a bad offensive line league fellows. I mean, the amount of bad offensive line tape that you're seeing around the conference, including Oklahoma here, like it's not, it's not pretty. And, you know, I didn't necessarily get into like the Oklahoma offense against the Kansas State defense. And if you have a question, I mean, throw it, throw it at me whenever, cut me off. Um, but I definitely think like if Oklahoma fans think they're just going to show up and walk into Norman and think they're going to throw the ball over the yard against this defense or be able to like establish the line of scrimmage, like they're completely mistaken. Like this is going to need to be a game where Oklahoma schematically is going to have to have stuff and have answers for the problems that they're going to present. Oklahoma's got major issues at center and left guard. And, you know, Eli Huggins and Jalen Pickle are being quote me here I mean grown-ass men like yeah Pickle had a clip last weekend against Tulane on the right side of the line where he like picked up and completely threw the right tackle and I was just like holy crap Um, our our D-line is the elite of the elite I would think in the Big 12 maybe Oklahoma State or Baylor have something to say about that and you're mentioning the offensive line I'm an offensive line guru I I say that um (laughs) sarcastically but But there's there's players on this Oklahoma team that I mean I don't recognize from I mean from last year you say it's the same team but who are some guys that that I need to look for that that are going to bring the heat especially on defense and maybe even who's going to be catching these balls from uh, Dylan Gabriel and running the ball kicking handoffs for sure I, I think more obviously everybody knows who Marvin Mims is you know he had a really good game in Manhattan a year ago Kansas State really. <laughs> How Spitzer Rattler played like that in Manhattan and then turned around and what he did against Texas is still one of the most mind-boggling things that has happened um, since I started doing this five, six, seven years ago. Um, But Oklahoma offensively, I think with Jaleel Farouk is the X factor for them this season. If they can find a way to get him mix and match inside and outside, you know, he's a serious threat as an athlete on the outside. Um, you know, running back, they're all right. Like, I think that Eric Gray, you know, had a really good game against Nebraska, and he's starting to stack some, you know, rushes on top of each other that are really, really good. But, again, Nebraska's defense is really, really bad. And Marcus Major's been more – they're more downhill back. Um, you know, with the offensive line situation, right? Like, Anton Harrison's back. He's off to a good start. He looks like he's taken a step forward and, you know, a guy that could be a first-round, you know, type of tackle when it's all said and done. But – I mean, left guard and center has been a uh, mystery and a journey through three games. And that is not good. Um, if they can't run the ball on early downs and you're getting into second and third and long and hoping Dylan Gabriel is going to be able to throw against this passing defense, they're in a different world than I live in. And so they've got to be really good schematically with what they do in the run game. And I've pointed this out the against – Ole Miss in Arkansas a year ago, Jeff Levy had a little tweak in his run game with the pin-pull concept 
that really opened things up. I'm interested to see if it makes a return this weekend because uh, they're going to need it if they want to be able to generate some explosives in the run game. Um, you know, a lot of people are asking me, like, how is, you know, Kansas State going to score 20-plus points to win this game? And I'm asking people, how is Oklahoma going to score more than 30, right? And so, you know, I think whenever you look defensively, like, players just to bring up, um, you know, Deshaun White's off to a good start. He got a targeting. He's playing that apex, like, cheetah position. So kind of what Reggie Stubblefield played a year ago. I don't know who's playing that for Oak for Kansas State right now. I know they well, got we're- – we're kind of switching. I mean, we kind of that's kind of not the the position that we wanted Reggie to have to play. We kind of wanted a Sam linebacker. We kind of want the big body. We have Khalil Duke playing in there. He you kind of remember him from the mm-hmm. 2020 season. He was mostly a pass rushing DN, but now we have him standing up and he's kind of a liability and coverage especially coming off of the knee reconstruction that he had, but he's getting his win back, but we do bring um, Josh Hayes is a name that you're going to want to look out for. You probably already know that, but anybody that listens to this from the Oklahoma side, Josh Hayes will come down into that slot position and be able to play a little bit of the run, but cover those interior receivers better. So, I mean, it's that, that Reggie Stubblefield role is kind of, he was kind of out of place, but he made it his own. He was really good a year ago. Really, really, really good. Um, those final six games from him were – I don't know how he's not on an NFL roster. I, I do know, but I don't understand that stuff sometimes. So, anyways, yeah, you know, I think whenever you look at what OU's offense is I, – I, I struggle, like, how they're going to sustain drives. Like, if they don't find, you know, five or six big explosive passing plays in this game, like, I don't see them having a ton of success. And so, you know, I think it's going to be a grinded out game. And, and you know, you asked me, like, kind of like finally, like, what am I, you know, expecting or anything like that? Like, I think Oklahoma over the next two weeks, you're going to learn a couple things, right? Um, you're going to learn if the physicality of their offensive line is at a point that they can win a Big 12 title and make a playoff game. Uh, you're going to learn this week against Kansas State at the linebackers and their discipline uh, is ready to perform on the big stage. Um, and you'll learn against TCU if OU's pass defense is ready. But this week's a big test. Like, I, I know Oklahoma fans are feeling, you know, I'm hearing some scores of, like, 38-13, 38-14. And I look at my friends out in Vegas and look at oddsmakers that are dropping that line, which surprisingly opened under two touchdowns, is even getting lower. And the under is coming down as well. So, you know, I think I, I thought I had a pretty good read on the game, and I'm glad to see some of those things are happening um, with the odds. But I just, I mean, guys, I, I know I have a Kansas State bias this season, um, but I it it's hard to envision that I think Oklahoma is going to be able to slow down Kansas State's run game to all that much. Um, but then again, like I said, I think it's probably going to come down to a situation in the fourth quarter where we're all going to be looking at each other and saying, is like, oh, is Adrian Martinez going to put a game-winning drive together here? Uh, and it's probably not going to happen. So I, uh, I'm going to stay away from a Kansas State win in Norman. So what is your official final score prediction if we're going to play, you know, radio host, sports talk host? <laughs> give, us, give us what you got. I got 27-20 Oklahoma. I think Kansas State gets five or six scoring opportunities, and they take advantage of four of them. A couple 10-plus play drives, a um, couple explosives, probably on some stuff that, you know, plays that Oklahoma hasn't seen quite yet. 
but I think Oklahoma's is too much. I think they're going to figure out a way to force feed the ball to Marvin Mims and Jaleel Farouk when the running game doesn't get going. And, you know, those two guys are probably just more athletic than what Kansas State has in the back end of their secondary. But the other part of that is, too, is Quinn Newsom from Nebraska, the corner, gave Oklahoma some fits last week at times. Not the other one, Tommy Hill, but Quinn Newsom did. So there's one. I mean, I, I think Julius Brinson and Ecal Boyedo, I think I said that right. Echo um, Island, Echo Boyedo. There you go. And so I think those guys are equally as good, right? And, I mean, I, I think this is the most talented defense in the Big 12. And, you know, this is the obvious key matchup this week, like Oklahoma's passing game against Kansas State's passing defense. And, you know, if they can't run the ball and Kansas State's not going to respect the RPO game, um, again, guys, like, I just don't, I don't think Oklahoma is consistent enough offensively to trust that they're going to be able to sustain drives in this game. So Oklahoma is probably going to win the field position a couple times, right? They're probably going to generate a negative play on a first down. That's going to pin Kansas state back, get good field position, make a couple plays and score. I, I bet that happens probably a couple times. You have to account for a turnover from Kansas state um, and as well, probably from Oklahoma too. So, you know, I have a hard time really like putting a, a firm, confident score on this. I do feel good about the under. I think the under was at 53 and a half whenever I was able to pick it early in the week. I think it's down to 52. Probably going to get in the low 50s, even lower than where it's at right now. So I, I like the under more than taking anything on either side. Um, I think it's going to be a low possession game that they're going to be the slugfest that we've seen from a Kansas State-Oklahoma game in the past. And it's going to be really, really fun to watch. Like, it's going to be a really high-level, high-physical football game. It's, uh, it's not going to feel like a traditional Big 12 game. I've, well, got, I've got my – sorry, go ahead. Go ahead, Jeff. No, no, Bob, go ahead. Go ahead, bud. I was just going to say that uh, I've got my, my betting locks later in the show, but the K-State OU under is one of them. And I, I got it at 51-and-a-half. I think that's probably going to hit. I would, I would err on the side of the under, just knowing how defensive this matchup's going to be. Um, so I, I appreciate you saying that because it, it validates my opinion on it, which makes me feel good. So uh, <laughs> I guess the last thing that I have is, you know, this is a rivalry. You know, you say what you will about rivalries, whatever, however you want to classify them. But this this is a, a matchup and a series that goes back to the, the early 1900s. We've played each other over 100 times. You know, you're leaving to the SEC, so is Texas, but but really we've played each other so many times. We know know each other super well. Our program is ingrained in your program when you think about Bob Stoops and Brent Venables and, and some of those guys that have gone through there, even, you know, Mangino. We've had a lot of intertwining over the last 30 years and, and beyond that. Tell us a little bit more about some of your thoughts on, on moving to the SEC, what some of these old Big 8 rivalries mean to you. And and now that you're now that you're moving on to the SEC, what are some of the teams that you're going to miss playing the most? Yeah, I think I'd start off with like, you know, it was eventually going to happen. I think we all saw it coming. Um, you know, when you go look back at a decade ago when, you know, Oklahoma was so gung ho on expansion and it kind of fell through. You know, I think that they obviously positioned themselves with their grant of rights deal, right, where the Big 12, I think, did a 12-year deal in 2011, and Oklahoma did a 10-year deal with their third-tier rights. So they could have opened up the window for negotiating early. You know, I think I, I think it was always inevitably going to happen. I do, you know, I have empathy 
I, I'm not a, you guys will come to find, like, I'm not a, not super like Oklahoma fan at this point. Um, and, and really, quite frankly, I don't really care either way, win or lose, because I can always break down film and generate content that people like anyways. And so, you know, I just, man, I think the people that are like, oh, the Big 12 is now G5 league and, you know, just kind of trying to tap people on the head and, you know, I'm not a huge fan of it. I, you know, I think whenever you look at the programs that, you know, in the athletic programs that remain, you know, they're going to continue to get stronger because that's what they've done for, you know, really most part the last 20 years. Now, you know, if you want to talk about brains and, you know, the people that brought that stuff to the table, right? Like, obviously people want to always say, you know, if, you know, Oklahoma is the reason for that, or Texas is the reason for that. And, you know, there's probably some truth to it. It's just, it's just gotten to a point where it's all too toxic for me. So, you know, I, I'm going to miss it. I think Kansas State's one of the teams. Oklahoma State's definitely one of the teams. You know, I've got no – I don't care about Baylor. I don't care about TCU. They weren't good whenever I was growing up. Um, West Virginia, I don't care about. Um, but, yeah, I think the Iowa State, the Kansas State, the the Oklahoma State, Texas Tech, I think that those those ones – I you know, I've got buddies growing up that – that were the fans of from you know, the, of those teams and of those programs. So, you know, it's always going to be tough for me. Um, then I have to always come up on the other side of this and I can, you know, I say all that and then realize like, yeah, for like engagement and then, you know, on my career and as an independent content creator, like this is awesome. I think it's going to be, you know, anytime that you can welcome Alabama and Georgia and, you know, those teams on a regular basis in the Norman, um it's going to be really really cool to see I don't think even you know I it's just one game a year right like I you know you look at the Sun Belt right now like in the way they're kind of positioning themselves for the future you know I see the Big 12 that way as like a power five league though um even though it's going to be a power two like of the ACC the Big 12 and the Pac-12 that's remaining you know I I view the the big 12 is the third strongest They're the second strongest football conference this season. And that's not just because Oklahoma and Texas. Right. And so I think that you've got a bunch of really competent leaders in this league and really solid, you know, foundational university structures. Um, and whenever you have good Alliance like that from top down, like you're always going to have success. And so, you know, I don't see the big 12 going away. Like I don't see these teams or programs going away. Um, if there is one, I, I wouldn't worry about it is Kansas state, but in West Virginia for obvious reasons. So we'll see how that, all that plays out. Um, but I, I think Kansas state is going to be fine. I think they're competitive enough in sports and, you know, they're continuing to put money in and, and do that. But obviously the revenue concerns are there. So, um, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's college athletics and where we're heading. Um, and, Oklahoma is the reason this is happening anyways in the first place when you go back to 1980, right? And so um, taking the baton and continuing to run with it, I guess, is their thing. Well, I'll say this. Um, you, you laid it out perfectly. I didn't think we were gonna we we're in the middle of the season. We're going to get conference realignment talk, but you, you nailed it perfectly. Keegan, you've been an absolute pleasure. I, I'm going to let Bob say his piece as well, but this is probably – the best review we've had on an opposing team. And I, I hope you come back because you, you sound like you, you know a lot about football from all over the college landscape. So if you ever want to come back on and talk any kind of ball, 
cocaine Willie is here for you. <laughs> you know, man, it's one of those things where like I'm a lunatic and I know I'm a lunatic. And so, you know, I just have to keep to keep leaning into that. Hey, we we love it and and we very much appreciate you having you on. You're definitely the 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 biggest following type of person that we've had on the show to date. So, appreciate you supporting our small little live show podcast thing that we have going here and and giving us your giving us your scoop on Oklahoma and K-State. You've you've got a very informed perspective on I think a lot of teams, definitely not just limited to to both of those. So, I appreciate that and and we'll look forward to having you on in the future. Absolutely. Yeah, thanks. thanks. Have a good yeah. one. Absolutely. Thanks, Keegan. Awesome. Well, Chef, I've, I've invited a bunch of people to the stage. I've gotten zero acceptances. So let's get into uh, predictions. And then if anybody wants to hop on stage, uh, we'll love to get your prediction. And then we'll move on to uh, to Bob's locks and guys talking ball. Let's talk some ball. All right, Chef. So fired up with your prediction. What do we got from you? Man, it's tough. I I'm going back and forth. His talk really, I mean, inspired me. I mean, he's a lot higher on K-State after the Tulane loss than I am. Um, but I still think the Cats can get it done if we play our A game. So I'm going 27-26, just a random number, throw it out there. I hope it comes down to Chris Tennant and, and he nails a field goal for us and the Cats win. That's going to, I'm always going to ride with my team. I'm going to be a little bit of a homer here and I hope, I hope we get it done, buddy. What's yours? What's yours? I I said it earlier on Bosco's boys. I will say it again. It's going to be 27, 24. I've got the cats eking out a very, very close win against the Sooners and we're going to hit the under baby. I, I feel good about it. Listening to Keegan just now, I feel even better about it. We're going to hit the under. So that's going to be on Bob's locks here in a moment. So I think predictions wise, that's all we've got. My locks for this week, chef, I would love to have your commentary here. So week three performed incredibly poorly. Oklahoma hit Penn state hit and KU hit, but the K state spread BYU spread Penn state spread and UTSA spread all missed. And so for week four, I'm going a lot more conservative. I'm putting down 25, and this is to pay out about 350. God damn. I've got K-State OU under. I've already alluded to it twice. I've got the under at 51 and a half. I would have preferred to have it at 53 or whatever Keegan was saying he got it at. But I've got it at 51 and a half. And I've also got a same game parlay through FanDuel for K-State to cover the 12 and a half spread. Which I like that. From everything, from everything I'm hearing, regardless of the win or the loss, I do feel comfortable with both of those happening. I like that the it's underplay. Be a super defensive matchup. I like the underplay because, really, if you think about it, the 51 and a half, you're gonna. There's really only a couple outcomes. I don't think the. I can't remember the last time that K State actually blew out Oklahoma. So. Either you're going to have a really low-scoring tight game or Oklahoma's going to score a lot of points to the point where it's a blowout, but it's not going to be a crazy blowout where they're 50-burger-ing 50, 50 us and we're getting shut out. So I think you're safe right. with that, that under. It's real. It's really basically free money. It's it's not gonna be it's not gonna be the Nebraska game for them last week. We're we're not gonna lose forty nine to seven or whatever the hell it was last week. So I'm I'm not concerned about you know getting fifty burgered by them. 
it, it could happen, but I, I hope if they score 50 points, we're at least putting on, you know, 20 to 24, you know, so it's not just an absolute bloodbath, but still wouldn't be a close game if that were the case. My third pick is West Virginia minus two and a half at Virginia Tech. We all know that Virginia Tech lost to Old Dominion. I don't think that was a fluke. I don't think West Virginia is that good, but I think West Virginia is a better bad team than Virginia Tech is. I think they have the better offense. They JT Daniels is getting more comfortable in this Neil Brown, but you, you've got to take into perspective that this team is falling apart. Well, I mean, they won last week. It was, I think, versus Townsend. That really had no bearing. But if if they can put it together, I think they cover that two and a half easily versus Virginia Tech. Totally, totally. And I am 1-0 when West Virginia is covering the spread, and I put money on it this season so far. So, and that, that first game was uh, for them to cover against Pitt and they covered by a half of a point. So I'm going to go with them covering minus two and a half against Virginia Tech. My next two, I've got Baylor plus two and a half at Iowa State. And then I have KU Moneyline versus Duke at home in what might be the most attended game at David Booth Memorial Stadium without the Kansas State Wildcats playing there in probably 13 years. Absolutely. Uh, let's talk, let's touch on that Baylor game. They're dogs to Iowa State. I mean, really right. what they're, really what they're saying is that on a neutral field that they're even. And right. I don't see that. I mean, Hunter Deckers is playing well for Iowa State, but really they should be two and one because they should have lost to Iowa and Iowa is terrible. Their offense is worse than ours. Their defense is pretty good, but, I mean, I don't trust Iowa State just yet, and this will be the test. And I think you're right putting the line on Baylor because Baylor is a salty team this year. I mean, for God's sakes, they were picked number one to win the Big 12, and now they're road dogs to Iowa State, who was picked, what, sixth? And I think I think you're very safe with that. But now your next pick, that K- KU-Duke game, I am staying as far as possible away from that. <laughs> I'm not touching that line at all. I ever. got them. I'm, I got them money line. I've got them money line. So I'm not taking them on the spread. I'm taking the money line because I think they will win. But the spread scared me. Nine points was too much when I saw that it. That is, I mean, God, man, I don't know. I don't know what Duke team's going to show up. I don't know what KU team. The the ball, the shoe has got to drop at some point for. KU because if they throw up a 50 burger versus Duke, dude, the internet is going to blow up that that means they're back, right? I mean, it would be so on brand for them to be back before Texas is too. That would just be, that would be objectively hilarious. That would be out of Um, control. and, (laughs) And thinking, and thinking about Baylor too, if you, if the home team gets three points, and Baylor's plus two and a half from at least what I put money on, then they, you know, at least the betting services are expecting Baylor to probably eke out a victory there, or at least, you know, have it go to overtime or something. So I'm, I'm going to go with Baylor on that one. I feel pretty confident in that they're a top 25 Baylor team. They've got one of the best, you know, top three 
defense in the Big 12. Dave Aranda is one of the greatest football minds of a generation coaching that team going up against Matt Campbell, who hasn't won more than nine games. So I, I'm i going Baylor. And then, yeah, KU Moneyline, they're going to be bringing the porta-potties into Lawrence. It's going to be just a wonderful, wonderful time. I am very curious to watch that game this weekend. So, There's not enough porter potties in that in the state of Kansas to fill up with all the shit that I'm hearing out of KU this year. I think I think it was Derek Young that said it on on Three Ma Pod, but they got to get some of those cat cans. Felix and, and Deuce have got to get some of those cat cans for Manhattan and Lawrence for that, that game to, to help out our our brothers down down I seventy. That nil money is going to be flowing in for Deuce and Felix. And it won't be the only thing that's flowing in Lawrence. With that, we've got guys talking ball. Nick, are, are you are you here? Do you exist? Are you on here? I mean, we've got we've got a couple other people in the gallery. Hey, there he is. He sent me some beans today. Can you hear me? Yes, we can. Can you hear me? Yeah, my my thing's saying my signal is weak, but we can we can hear you can... loud and clear, brother. Perfect. Sweet. First so... off, first off. Fire away with your prediction for K-State OU, and then we will pivot to guys talking ball. So I think I'm trying to remember what I said. Third, 28-24 cats. I think that's um, our offense is going to be just fine. And I think late in the game, we're going to have a late defensive stop to seal the deal. And we'll go to victory formation. I love, I love that. I love that. Nick, you love to you hear it. bring the sunshine that I need. <laughs> no, Chef, you do. You bring me sunshine. You know, I, I'm here for the bromance. I'm here for the bromance between the chef and, and the, the coffee fiend. You oh, should have saw just, how I was jumping dude, on him during that Missouri my, game. My right arm literally hurt. I couldn't keep my hands off him. <laughs> Nick, remind uh, me remind me when you're coming through Denver again. It's soon, isn't it? Uh, yes, actually, it is. Um, in two weeks, three weeks. Uh, Hell yeah, October October seventh. Hell yeah, hit me so, hit me in the DMs. Hit me in the DMs and remind me so I so I remember. Yeah, man. Well, uh, we're gonna be staying in. Let me. And we're gonna be staying in like the Fairfield and Parker, Colorado. But you are worth the drive. I will. To, uh, I will meet you part way. Shop. I will meet you part way, brother. Do not. Do not worry about yes. that. I know Parker is a. So, is literally the exact opposite side of town for me. But. So I guess my job for you then is to find a coffee shop. Find. Oh, I will. A coffee shop to, to link up at, and then we will. We will make that happen. I'm pretty excited. I got you. I got you. We'll make it happen. Sweet. Well, should we pivot to guys talking ball, Chef? Let's talk some ball, baby. What what Let's do you talk. have in your magic hat for today? Dude, I was I was swimming around in this bowl of K-State legends and players randomly swirling around in this thing. And you know the name that I picked up? Justin Tuggle. Ugh, oh, God, Justin Tuggle. I love me some Justin Tuggle, buddy. Man. Justin Tuggle, a salty defensive end who started out as a quarterback. He started out as a quarterback. Started out as a quarterback. Just another Bill Snyder trick, magic that he pulled out of finding a quarterback and converting him to a defensive player. Mind you, it's in his DNA. His dad was like a stud linebacker for the Falcons. He had five Pro Bowls. 
yeah, I mean, it was in his DNA. And I think Justin Tuggle's still playing in Canada right now. I'm not sure. Yeah. But yeah. Just Justin Tuggle, I mean, he was instru- I mean, Keegan brought up the 2012 season and he was instrumental in that Oklahoma game with the strip sack that uh Childs picked up for the touchdown. Uh, I think it was late in the first half. I'm not sure, but Justin Tuggle was that guy, man. He w- he was a pass rushing specialist. He wore a salty number, number two, for a defensive end. That is just a crispy look. I don't know if you guys uh, have any memories of Justin Tuggle, but, God, man, I loved watching that guy play. He was just – he was a ball energy. I just remember hearing about him when he was coming in, and he was a quarterback from Blinn College. I was just thinking, okay, this guy might be the next Michael Bishop – for whatever reason, he he ended up getting getting shifted to defense and and was salty. He was just so salty. I just remember 2011 and 2012, two of my favorite seasons of my lifetime that I that I remember well because I was in 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 college at K State when those seasons were going on. But I just remember that guy. He was so he was just so good, and I I, I was I was not upset at the fact that he wasn't the quarterback. Um, I was very glad that we shifted him to, uh, to defense and he had some moments. Uh, he made, he made some tackles, forced a fumble against Oklahoma. Like you mentioned, he made four stops against KU. He had two tackles apiece against Iowa state, West Virginia tech and Texas. He was just, he was a good contributor on the, on that 2012 team. It was awesome having that defense. I mean, that defense was just so good. There's no other way to put it. That defense was just like a top it was, tier elite dude, defense. Was, SEC level elite. defense. I'll live in 2012 for the rest of my goddamn life if I have to. I will never forget that team. I mean, Meshack Williams. I mean, Adam Davis. Just that whole defensive end room was kind of insane. Ryan Mueller was on that team, and he was like yeah. the jet package interior guy wearing like, I think he was wearing 46 at the time. <laughs> it was just funny. I mean, just that team in general. And Justin Tuggle was that guy, and he he let and he led a lot of that defensive line uh, in pressures. He was constantly in the backfield, and he would he would catch he would rush the quarterback and then just flare out into the flats. And he would always make plays out there, man. It was just so fun to watch. I would take a Justin Tuggle on this team right now. Oh, that would absolutely. be huge. Who would you would say you on this team is who? Who on this team today would you say is the closest comparison to Justin Tuggle? Whoa, that's tough. I mean, if Khalid Duke didn't have the injury that he had, because I think in the the game versus Stanford, the game, the first half versus Nevada, and the game, who was the second game that we played? Southern after Southern Illinois, the one that that uh, Skyler got hurt in. No, no, that was last year. That was oh, a Southern Illinois. What year are you talking Hold on. about? Hold on. What was are you Stanford? talking about last year? Stanford, Stanford was the first game. Stanford at Arlington was the first game. The second game was Southern Illinois, and the third game was Nevada because Nevada was Will Howard starting, right? Was it really Southern Illinois? And we struggled in that game, didn't we? Oh, it was awful. It was a miserable game to watch. Because Skyler got hurt in the first half, and then Will Bill the Butcher came out there and 
was just very serviceable, I guess is, oh a, is a nice way to put it. I am totally lapsing on that. That is terrible. That is crazy. But yeah, I would compare Justin Tuggle to Khalid Duke. That would that would be where I would think that he would play right now. Like if Justin Tuggle got teleported back to his prime days in college and put on this roster, him and Khalid Duke would be basically playing that Sam position. And I would love it. It would be insane, really. Because Justin Tuggle could drop back a little bit, and it was it was fun to watch. But I would, man, who would I from that 2012 team? Who could help? I wouldn't really even because I like our defense this year a lot. I don't don't necessarily think I would take anybody, but I would take, man, Travis Tannehill. Maybe I would love him at tight end right now. He was a good blocker. He was. God, I just love that stand-up, hand-on-hips position that the Titans played when they were in that 2012 season. I would take Travis Tannehill. Maybe I would, uh, I would take I would take a Tyler Lockett. <laughs> just oh, knowing. Tyler Lockett. Ugh, but you got to get him the ball first. Maybe a, right. maybe I know I know he was a guy that we brought up. I think maybe two weeks ago. But Cornelius Lucas at left tackle instead of KT Levinston. Mm. That would be crazy. That would be insane. God, Cornelius Lucas paired with Cooper Beebe. Ah, that would be crazy. Next level, next level. Dude, this was an elite episode. Uh, I hope people really give this a listen. And if if you are listening to this on feedback, send me send the Cocaine Willie Twitter. Send a whole bunch of pictures of Justin Tuggle strip sacking OU or just making all kinds of plays for K-State. I want to see a whole bunch of Justin Tuggle pictures in our mentions. That's what I want to hear. And and I'll let Bob send it off, but I want to say cocaine's a hell of a drug. We are all coke and no joke. Wildcat country. Let's ride. Let's ride. Oh, Jesus. <laughs>